Welcome to the Freaking Geeks Podcast, the flagship podcast of Freaking Geeks Media. In this podcast, hosts Michael, Sarah, and Barry crank the geekiness to 11, covering everything from movies and television to pop culture, video games, books, and so much more. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Okay, now it's time to start the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and with me is my co-host, Jacob. Hello. All right, Jacob, it's been a little while since we've been on here together to do a review <laughs> of a movie. Um, we had that mad dash leading up to the release of Avengers Endgame, so we were kind of kind of going crazy there. Um, and I'll admit, um, after Endgame came out, we did the review for that. Um, kind of hit the wall. <laughs> Because it was just, um, I think we were doing between you, me and you, and then uh, me and Sarah and Raker, we were doing uh, sometimes three uh, episodes a week, uh, three Marvel movies. Um, on top of that, anything that was coming out that we really wanted to review. So it got to a point where once the end game was over, I was just, I think we took a break for a couple of weeks. We, I don't think we did. Uh, anything yeah so but uh yeah then we picked it back up and uh we've been going pretty good here we have a review for the lion king uh we'll be recording tonight so that's going to be interesting um have a lot to say about that movie uh (laughs) so look out for that episode to drop either tonight or early tomorrow morning and uh but this one is going to be different. We are doing a a bit of a retro <laughs> review here because you know on top of the new stuff that comes out we like to review older movies and this isn't an old movie, right? We're not talking like the 1940s, 1950s, but uh you know for a lot of people that are younger than you and I, um this would be considered an old movie, right? Because it's from back in the ancient 90s. Um yeah. <laughs> which is not that long ago, trust me. Um, so this is a review for Contact, which, um, is a Robert Zemeckis directed movie from 1997. And, uh, before we go down through the list of, uh, the, the rundown that we usually do, uh, this is a movie that I watched shortly after it came out. In fact, I saw it at the drive-in, uh, when did you see this movie for the first time? Was it when I, you know, had you, when I picked it for this review or was it, uh, you know, a long time ago? Uh, no, I had to, uh, I had to watch it initially when I was back in college. Cause I did a, uh, I took a psychology and science fiction class. So like, this was definitely up there with a few other key movies. So I, I watched it once way back then and kind of got to talk and discuss, the movie in and of itself on a science fiction level as well as kind of some of the psychology behind it. And then didn't really watch it again until you, <laughs> until you wanted mentioned you wanted to watch it. So it was definitely, it had been some time and there was some stuff that kind of came hurtling back when I rewatched it. Okay. Yeah. It, okay. So this is a movie. Um, it has a bit of a soft spot in my heart personally um i've always been fascinated by space but i can never be an astronaut 
because the idea of being out in all of that emptiness terrifies me. <laughs> um, you know, because if you go out in space, right, and say you're in a, you know, astronaut suit or something, there is nothing around you, pretty much. I mean, there is, but there isn't, you know, like, if you're just floating along in space, you're not coming in contact with anything. Maybe forever, <laughs> you know, like you can just float along for a thousand years and never touch anything. Um, so that terrifies me. I can never be an astronaut. However, I'm I'm fascinated by science. I'm fascinated by uh, space in general, the universe, everything. Um, and I have been for a long time. And this movie for me um, was probably one of my first real connections to a movie that didn't depict aliens as some, you know, evil race of creatures or beings that want to destroy us, a la aliens, which, trust me, it's not, I'm not slamming aliens here, um, or... Independence Day is an example, which came out only a year prior to this. Um, this one I felt, you know, was a much more intelligent, um, probably more realistic idea of what first contact might be like with an alien race. And uh, so I've watched it various times through, you know, throughout the years. I've, I've probably seen it. Um, I watched it a lot, actually. Uh, after the after it came out, I, I bought it on VHS, and I probably probably plowed through the movie. I'd say twenty times, and then I've probably seen it another dozen times um, since about two thousand. So I'm pretty well acquainted with the movie, but it's the first time I've seen it in about four or five years. So it's a good one though for me, and I really enjoy it. Um. So the rundown for this is uh, that it was released in 1997. Uh, it came out on July 11th, and it was written by James V. Hart and Michael Goldenberg, directed by Robert Zemeckis, and has a runtime of two hours and 30 minutes, with a budget of $90 million, which doesn't sound a lot now, but $90 million at the time is probably the equivalent of a $200 million movie today. Uh, has a box office uh, of 100.9 million domestic, 70.2 million foreign, for a total global haul of 171.2 million dollars, or point sorry, point one million dollars, and um, it uh, the cast is uh, Jodie Foster, Matthew McConaughey, Tom Skerritt, John Hurt, James Woods, Angela Bassett, William Fickner. David Morris, Jake Busey, and Jenna Malone. And so uh, the plot synopsis for this is after having the love of the stars instilled in her from an early age by her now-deceased father, Ellie Arroway has been searching for evidence of intelligent life ever since. She, uh, When she receives a message from a distant star that answers the question of whether or not we are alone in the universe, the world comes together to build a machine necessary to make contact happen. And I should probably say, moving forward, spoilers. So, <laughs> um, so, what is your one sentence review 
for contact? Uh, I have uh, contact is a deliberate and meticulous story that takes its time and brings focus to a long running and dichotomous discussion of science versus religion. Mm, very nice. Very nice. All right. Uh, mine is uh, contact is a deft mixture of good storytelling infused with uh, effective themes and with more than enough intelligence not to pander to the audience, which I think is important in a movie like this and considering what it's trying to say and by connecting faith and science um, and having a movie where the two can coexist, I think that's really important. Um, so let's, uh, let's jump into it. Um, let's talk about the script for contact. So contact is interesting. Um, and I remember even, when I first saw the movie at the drive-in, I was, I was enthralled for a lot of reasons. One, uh, it's a movie that takes science seriously. And for people that don't know this, and I can understand why, uh, the, the movie is based on a book that was written by Carl Sagan, uh, that came out, I think in the mid eighties, like 1985 or 1986. And, uh, it's basically more or less this movie. There are some differences, but uh, we won't get into that necessarily. Um, so this is a movie in which the science matters. And I, I love that. I really do. I, it's, it's fantastic that when you see a movie where the science matters, it doesn't happen as often as it should. And it seems to be happening less and less as the years go by, <laughs> actually. Um, but, what I really like about this movie is that uh, you have science, you have characters that are trying to find intelligent life, especially uh, Ellie, and then you have characters like Palmer Joss, who is a, a theologian, right? I mean, he is someone who you know believes in God, and those two don't necessarily have a history of coexisting very well. <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, but in this movie, they try to say that they're closer than you think. And the way that the script plays out, I think, forces one character, Ellie, to more or less have an experience that is similar to what Palmer Joss has early in the movie. So early in the movie, um, Ellie and Palmer have essentially a, a one-night stand, and they're talking. And he tells the story of how he came to believe in God, right? He says, oh, you know, I had this experience and, I mean, it was so profound that I, I couldn't even question, you know, what I felt. Whereas Ellie is like, I need to see proof. I need to see proof. How can you believe in something with no proof? And then you get to the end of the movie and she has this experience in the machine, which no one else can see and no, there's no recording of it because, um, you know, she was gone for a, like a second, uh, the con or the, um, they lost transmission with her for like a second and, um, she can't, she can't validate her claims, right? She says, this is what happened to me, but I have no proof for it. And, uh, at the end of the movie, it comes to a point where she realizes that, um, she's having 
she's had a, a similar experience to what Palmer has, where she has an experience, she knows what she saw, she knows what she experienced, but she can't tell anybody that. She can tell them, but she can't show them. So, um, I like the having the the faith in the science um, kind of coming together in a lot of ways. Um, anyway, what are your thoughts on that, and what are your thoughts on the script in general? Um, yeah, it, it was uh, it was really well done to have it come full circle with both his character and her character, and the connections that he was talking about and how he wanted her to experience and understand where he was coming from and like really building up into that and everything. Uh, like, uh, at the, the gala when he asked her, did you love your father? And she's like, yes. And he's like, prove it. Yep. And it kind of set her off a little bit and everything. And it kind of backfired on him a little. So it was really interesting to see it really well done and well developed of this getting her to that point of here is that experience that he was talking about that you were so against yet are having almost an identical scenario happen to you. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of uh, to a certain extent. I think the cornerstone of this movie yeah. is people going through experiences that they can't really prove. And but you know, the script itself. I mean, there are a lot of themes running through it, and and that obviously is is the big one. I think the the um, connecting the the science and and faith and the ways in which they're at times more similar than I think different um, or can be. And uh, but the script is really good. You know, it provides us characters that we like. It provides us with characters we despise, um, and it does so. I think in a pretty good way. Uh, some of the characters maybe um, I I don't feel maybe are is is three dimensional as I probably would have liked at times. It's not bad um they're not you know you know one-dimensional characters but um primarily my my biggest uh, problem with uh, the characters is probably with david drumlin um they try to make him out to be a character who his maybe was one time one time a a solid scientist or something but eventually kind of gets into the bureaucracy of the government and is kind of corrupted by it and you know he pulls the plug on ellie's project and then you know they, they once she finds this signal and you know all of a sudden people from all over the world are coming and all the news stations and then all of a sudden drumlin's in there he's like yeah yeah let's this is fantastic and he, he starts to kind of push her out and take credit for the whole project which and that's to me one of the best things about this movie is i like I like how they show how bureaucracy, the government, I mean, not even just the government, but just any, there's this, any, almost any scenario can happen in which you could be the driving force for whatever is going on. You, you, you know, you find something or you discover something. And when it's all said and done, after it's all played out, you're a footnote. 
you know, when you really probably shouldn't have been a footnote, you should have been, you know, the centerpiece, the, the person at the center, uh, of all of it. And it's kind of what happens to Ellie at uh, one point in this movie. And in fact, it's, um, SR Haddon, the, the billionaire is kind of tells her straight up, you're, you're, you're not, um, you're not out, but you're basically being handed your hat. Uh, because she has, is at that point in the movie, kind of been pushed to the side, right? She's there, she's involved, you know, she's in the running to get in this machine, but, you know, it, it's, um, probably not going to happen for her. And, uh, I, I like that. I like that they show how, even though you're the person that may be most, um, you know, central to the whole scenario that's playing out doesn't mean you're going to be the one that gets to get all the credit at the end. And we see how that plays out in this movie. At least it almost did. And it, well, it did. And then ultimately, you know, she got another chance. But um, what are your thoughts on the way in which they show that in this movie? Uh, yeah, it really is. Cause it's always, anytime there's anything involving, uh, contact with alien life or anything like that. There's always the discussion about, or there's the government entity or the bureaucracy involved with it. If there's not a movie that does that, then they're horribly wrong about what's going to happen. Because let's be honest, our gun, that, that is the one accurate thing across any, sci-fi movie is going to be some kind of government or bureaucratic involvement with this, any of these kind of situations. And the fact that they did it in such a way and kind of, kind of go across the board with all the different, uh, levels of impact, uh, like what was his name? Um, the guy from, uh, it was, uh, the really conservative, uh, James group. Wood? Oh no! No, no, not. Oh, 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 oh! He's in Parks and Rec now, or was in Parks and Rec. Oh. Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe. Rob right, Lowe's right. character. Oh, right, like, right. Like the super like conservative, and like they talk about how, and like they bring into that aspect of like the fact that this our government does have to answer to not just the scientists, not just their religious individuals, but also other aspects of the government in and of itself. So it, it was really, really in depth and well thought out compared to just like, Oh, we're just the blanket government that is fascinated with this and wants to just put our own scientists. So it was really kind of very well detailed and organized in such a way that it kept going along that major theme of science and religion commingling. Yeah. I, I like that, uh, you know, in this movie we have, you know, characters with different motivations, which I think is, is good. Um, but let's kind of lay out what happens here. So, so Ellie, <clears throat> she was instilled from a young age with the love of the stars by her father. Her father was an English, uh, teacher and you know within a, like a year or so of kind of you know showing her the stars and she gets you know she has this radio which she contacts people like truckers and different people with different radios all over the United States um he dies he has an accident it's it's um 
he collapses, uh, you know, probably didn't take his medication or something. It's like a heart condition and he dies. And so she's been orphaned. And so we jump ahead and now she's, you know, part of this group and she's, you know, trying to find uh, intelligent life. And David Drumlin pulls the plug on her project. She goes down to the VLA in Mexico, which, you know, these giant uh, arrays um, that uh, allow for scanning, you know, stars. And it's probably one of the most powerful setups in the entire world. And uh, it's there, eventually, that she uh, gets a signal from the star Vega. And it eventually she realizes this isn't, you know, a mistake. It's not some uh, signal that is just a like a bounce back of some frequency or something. Or, or you know, uh, there's different, uh, um, there's like different things frequencies that come off of stars that some kind sometimes can be misinterpreted initially as possibly contact with uh, alien life or something but ultimately just realize it's like a quasar or something and so um, once they realize that this is actually intelligent life contacting them that's when things get crazy the government comes in and then eventually they realize that the whoever is contacting them wants to wants them to build this machine. They don't know what the machine is to do, you know, supposed to do initially. They build it. And then the idea is who's going to go into this machine. Ellie, of course, is at the top of the list, but then there's other people like David Drumlin and a handful of other people. And then um, what was interesting in the movie is that there's a, a discussion on, on, on faith, on, you know, you know, what do you tell this race, you know, like the person that goes there, should they be representative of the entire world and, and a good portion of the world, you know, has some belief in some God, whether it be God or, or your God in a different religion. And so should the person that goes up there believe in God? And that's kind of used as a way of kind of pushing Ellie to the side in this movie. And Palmer Joss is on that, is on that um, committee but you can tell that his motivations are different than everybody else's motivations because he just doesn't want her to go because he's afraid that something had happened to her. He cares for her and doesn't want to see maybe her die. You know, he doesn't want to see her disappear or die or get killed. So his motivations, I think, are a little different. And then um, there's an accident because there's like a, a religious cult who um, ends up destroying the machine. And then... Ellie finds out, and it kills David Drumlin because he was the person chosen to go. Um, he dies, and then they find out that a second machine was built. And uh, that's the machine that takes her on her journey. And the last half an hour of the movie is her dropping in this machine. She starts to go through this wormhole, and she kind of comes out in various points of the universe um, you know, by these, these um, wormholes. And she sees, you know, brand new galaxies being born and then, you know, uh, a planet with clear, clear, you know, alien technology and uh, everything. And then eventually she kind of appears in this simulation of, a, of like Pensacola, Florida, which is uh, someplace that she talked to 
uh, when she was a little girl. There was a trucker that was at that point, I think, was the farthest that she had connected with somebody. And uh, then the alien being that she talks to comes into focus, and it's her father. And they've basically gone through her memories and found her father and have they're kind of using that as a way of communicating with her in a way that it doesn't freak her out. But there's also something that connects to that, which is when she was a little girl before her father died, she tried to, to on the radio, tried to call out to her mom in space. And then when her father dies, she tries to talk to her father who obviously is dead. So I thought that was interesting that um, she kind of got that chance without it really being her father, obviously. And they have this discussion and they talk about, you know, how this, this system, this transport system has been around for thousands of years and um, they found it and it had already been there. So, um, but that's an interesting kind of breakdown of the movie. And um, I, I like that it's a personal journey for Ellie. And first and foremost, that to me is what sticks out is, is it's a journey for her as a character on multiple levels, as a scientist, as a human being, and I think as a daughter, as somebody who clearly loved, loved her father and still does. And the ending felt very impactful, even if you know that that's not her father. So, um, you know, what do you, what else do you like about the script? And, and let's talk about things you don't like. Um, yeah, I, I really liked just some of the decisions that were made when it came to uh, <laughs> just like the towards the end really was the decision like to have it be a, a, a one man space or, or like teleportation device. Um, just uh, that was really, really interesting and unique. I feel like, cause like everybody's like, Oh, maybe it's just a, a thing, a ship or something like that to transport them. Or like we mentioned earlier, well, maybe it's a bomb. Like they even kind of talk about how there is the skepticism on what it even really does, which is really well done in that sense. I really liked that. Mm -hmm. Um, like towards the beginning ish, when she's first starting to get contact or right before she gets contact, I will say felt a little drawn out. Mm -hmm. Like some of it was very deliberate, very necessary, but there were some moments where like some of the scenes felt like they could have honestly, like some of the script was, I wouldn't say filler because it wasn't really filler, but I feel like they could have condensed or combined some of the script and some of the scenes to make, uh, make it a little bit, more tight, I guess. Uh, but I like, I, I like the, uh, the way they wrote, uh, overall Jodie Foster's character and, uh, Matthew McConaughey's character. Like they were really, really well written. Yep. Uh, thought those two were great characters. I will say I did. I think of all the characters that was, I think least well written was probably James Woods character to me. It was not like it was bad. I was just saying like in comparison to the rest, I think his was a little bit more two dimensional compared to the others for me. Yeah. Um, which 
it's going to happen. You can't give every character a, a three-dimensional kind of look without ma- taking away from some of the others. So, Right. I mean, you have to kind of just say, look, this is kind of the core of your character, and that's the best you can do. So he's a little simplistic, um, but he's also you know, somebody who you can tell craves power and his first impulse is they want to kill us. You know, how, what is it? Maybe this machine is sent to wipe us all out. We feel like there's a point he says, you know, and it's a valid point. You know, it's something I do think you need to think about is, you know, Hey, you know, they send these blueprints. We pour saps, build the machine, start it, boom, wipes out our entire race, you know, like, you know, and I and I can see like it's a valid concern. You don't know what this machine does. You know, it it's everything they they're even like thinking about is kind of theoretical, even because of the blueprints in the, for the machine. But they have to interpret what the whole thing does. So you know, even like up until the point where you know she drops, they don't really know what the machine's gonna do. So you know, it's all a you know, big question. Um, but so I think, yeah, James Wood's character, I think, is kind of thin, but, um, you know, by necessity. Look, it's a big cast of people here in this movie. Um, there's a lot of actors that play small roles, and there's, you know, big roles to be played here, too. And you have two and a half hour runtime. You can't give everybody, like you said, you know, uh-huh. enough time to shine and enough dimensionality um, just by the amount of people that are in the cast. But I do think that... Um, you're right when it comes to some scenes in this movie, I feel like could have been cut out completely. Um, you know, we, we're we going to talk about what well, we can talk about now. Um, you know, the pacing for the movie is, it's okay. Um, I gave the, I gave the pacing an 80 um, and you gave the pacing, what, a 75. Uh- yeah, I gave it a 75. Uh, it's just, there were, yeah, like you mentioned, this is, this is a two and a half hour movie and it's a very slow build. Yes. Yeah. It takes like, its time. Very slow. <laughs> like some parts it's very deliberate and very understandable and very necessary. But then there are some moments where it's like, why was this? even done like the very very beginning the the scene where it's like it ended with coming out of her eye mm-hmm. it's like that was like five minutes of content that literally led to nothing like it had no impact whatsoever it was just like a little we're gonna show just space yeah i think the idea for the opening apart from the the and i'll admit it's a pretty fantastic CGI achievement, you know, in, in computer graphics, because um, going back from the Earth, I think the point of that was to to show how long we've been on Earth, and well, put it this way, how long we've been sending signals out, and yet how small we are, because you know, by the time the last transmissions that have ever been recorded and, and pushed out, um. You, when you see them and hear them, I mean, we're not that far out from Earth. And yet, you know, look how far out you can go until it's just nothing. And that's, I think, the point of that scene, I think, yes, I agree, it's five minutes and it could have been utilized elsewhere. But I think the point of that scene was to say, okay, you know, now there's no sound. 
and we can keep going for a very long time <laughs> and it's just going to be silence. Um, but I agree with the pacing. I think the pacing suffers at times. Um, I, I think they could have combined scenes, a couple of scenes here and there in the movie or just trim them down a bit um, or cut them out completely. Um, there's just every once in a while, I remember like the middle of the movie, Ah, there's a bit of a there's a bit of sag in spots where they really could have tightened everything up. I think they could have cut out about I'd say somewhere around ten minutes, maybe fifteen minutes of this movie, and I think it would have resulted in a tighter movie and wouldn't have lost any of the narrative momentum, any of the thematic impact uh of the movie at all. I really think yeah. they could have done that. Yeah, especially like when she first finds out that that program gets can't like gets canned. Mm-hmm. It, I don't know, like she finds out and then she like they take the time to have her go and chase him down mm-hmm. and, and like draw it out in that way. And I feel like with like that combined, I don't know, there that scene and then the like the day before when they did that little party thing, I don't know. I feel like they could have kind of like reworked and kind of done some stuff to make it a little bit more streamlined without feeling like, Oh my, we're like kind of whiplash of like, Oh, we're going from here to here and then back to this character. Then yeah, but it's nitpicky, I guess. No, it's, but, it's 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 valid. Look, it's valid. Um, it, yeah, there are very yeah few, there's just some scenes. There are very few perfect movies out there. There's only you know really yeah. like a handful of what I would consider perfect movies. But um, this is you know we're not slamming it. It's just that nah. this is a movie that needed, I think, some judicious editing, and it just it's just a fact. I think at least on our end that it needed. A little more time uh, to be cut, and ultimately, you know, they didn't do that. It's not the worst thing in the world. It doesn't make this a bad movie for by any stretch. But um, I just think, yeah, about fifteen minutes cut off would have been perfect for this. Oh yeah. So, um, all right. So um, our script grade, um, my script grade was in uh, in eighty five. What was your script grade? Uh, mine was an 88. Okay. Yeah, we're pretty close there. It's, it's an overall grade of an 86, which I think is pretty pretty good. Um, it does have a good script. I mean, look, even if you feel like certain things could have been cut out, um, even if there were a few thin characters in there that maybe could have been better, um, overall, this is an intelligent movie. It's an intelligent script that brings up some interesting questions and overall, I think, manages to convey something that most movies centered around science and especially aliens are unable to. I mean, the only movie I can think of, uh, um, oh, what's that movie that just came out a couple of years ago? We reviewed it for the podcast. Uh, the one that has Amy Adams in it. Oh, 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 I'm crap. I can't think of the name now. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. It, they it's arrival like that huge arrival yeah that's what it is arrival i remember it had the huge disc like the giant disc looking thing in the sky mm-hmm. and um that movie is probably the most in 
probably it's it's probably the most um intelligent movie about alien contact I've seen. Um in this movie, in that movie they don't share a lot of themes. Like, I mean, they share some themes. They don't share the theme of, of faith and everything because that's not really central to that movie, to Arrival. But um, I do think that there is a connection there in terms of, um, you know, some of the themes that are brought up in this movie and some that are brought up in Arrival, uh, what it's like to contact an alien life form. Um, there's questions about whether they're here to hurt us or harm us. And it's also about communication being the big thing. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, an 86 overall for the script. Um, let's talk about the acting. Um, the acting for this movie I thought was, was really good. Um, Judy Foster has always been a, an excellent actress. Um, she doesn't do as much anymore. She's, she's more of a director these days. Uh, but for a good portion of her career, she acted a lot. I mean, I'd say probably in the last decade she hasn't acted as much, but from like nineteen, I want to say like nineteen seventy-five up until probably two thousand and ten, she acted consistently. Um, and she's a really good actress. She's you know won two Academy Awards, one for Silence of the Lambs, one for The Accused, and uh, this performance is another really good one. For her, I wouldn't say it's like her greatest performance by any stretch. I think that's um, obviously I think that would be Silence of the Lambs probably for her, but um, this is still in the upper tier I think of her performances. Uh, Matthew McConaughey for me was was really good here. At this point, he was a rising star uh, in the industry, um, and then you know a lot of the other cast. You know William Fichtner, who I've, I'm kind of like. I like him and I don't like him in equal measure. I've, I've, I think he's done a good job at times in his career and I've, I've been less than impressed at other times, but I think he does a, um, a solid job here as, uh, uh, one of Ellie's, uh, friends, uh, Kent, he's, um, uh, he's blind, right? So, um, <laughs> he has a, yeah, his name is Kent Clark. It's Kent, Kent Clark. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then, you know, just, I mean, everybody else that's in this movie, I mean, David Morse is her father, Jenna Malone, who was young at the time, I think maybe 12, 13 years old. Um, you have uh, people like uh, John Hurt, Tom Skerritt. I mean, maybe David Drumlin wasn't the most three-dimensional character in this movie, but I think Tom Skerritt's always been great. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the acting here has been uh, just fantastic uh, for me. Uh, it gets an 88 acting was nice. I, I gave it an 85. Yeah. Everyone really did a generally a pretty good job. Um, yeah, there was just a few almost like a little bit two dimensional, which it's hard to say if it was more equated to the script or acting. I know like he is a, uh, generally a pretty good overall actor and, Overall, uh, I don't know. James Woods had moments, and <clears throat> he had some moments where it was just, I don't know. It felt like he wasn't, I wouldn't say phoning it in, but he definitely had moments where he just kind of had like the same facial expression. Even when he was getting mad or angry or raising his voice, it was like, 
I don't, I don't know if it was him or if it was like, he had some like plastic surgery or something going on. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I'm not sure, but it was just some moments where it seemed like, I don't know, like towards the end, like when he was doing the, the interview and I don't know if it was also done intentionally, it could have been to where it wasn't like, he wasn't really trying to be intense with her kind of deal, but mm-hmm. he had some of those moments that for me, uh, and like you said, uh, Tom Skerritt's character kind of was the, oh yeah, you're the, you're the notable douchebag character in the, in the, in this movie that's just trying to steal credit, um, and changing your opinions just to get what you want and get the limelight. Great. Yeah. And I, I liked it. I liked in the, the scene right before he leaves to get on the, um, uh, the machine and he, he tells, he basically admits it. He says, you know, he tells LOA or Ellie that, uh, you know, he says something like, I, I, I wish we lived in a world where like the things that people do, like, I'm trying to think the exact, I'm totally butchering it, but like he essentially says like, I, I wish we lived in a world in which people got basically got credit for the things that they did, but we don't live in that world. And then she says something like, I thought, that you know, I'm trying to think, I'm totally butchering it. But she says like, "I thought we, the world was what we made of it, or something like that." Like we, we basically, if you want it to be true, just do it. You know, stop hiding behind. Well, this is the way the world is, basically. Yeah, so totally butchered that. But you know, I they tried <laughs> to give him at least enough self awareness to at least understand, like, oh yeah, you're making this choice, and you know you're making this choice, right? So I think that that was. You know, pretty good, but again, not enough time paid attention to his character, I think. But overall, given the runtime, given the characters, they did what they could. Oh, yeah. So, all right. So you gave the acting in 85. Yes, yes. Okay. So overall, 86. And then let's move on to directing. So um, Robert Zemeckis directed this, and the movie he did direct prior to contact was uh, Forrest Gump. So obviously huge movie for him. So that gave him the cachet to decide to direct a movie like this and to direct a movie that cost at the time a pretty big budget. I mean, it's $90 million. Um, doesn't come close to what Titanic's budget was, which I think was over $200 million, uh, the same year. But um, but still, you know, $90 is no small amounts, especially in 1997. Uh, But Zemeckis, I think, is somebody who has done good movies over the years, really good movies, actually. Um, And this is one of his best. I think in terms of directing, he does an excellent job here. Um, He's he's always been an actor or a director who manages to get a lot out of his actors. And there's a warmth in the way he directs his movies. he has a real affinity for the people he's of the uh, characters he's kind of showing on screen and he does his best to uh, do as much as he can to uh, make you connect to the characters through his directing through the angles that he uses um the way he'll pan over from he has, there's a lot of um times where he'll pan from left to right to kind of introduce characters into a scene and then he'll also kind of zoom in a little closer to kind of pull you in um, which I think is a nice um, technique. Uh, 
But overall, I think the way he photographs is nice. He's always done a good job with that. And um, he's just a good director. I like I like his work, and I like what he did here. And uh, I'll give him an 87. Thanks. Yeah, he's a fantastic director. Just in some of the stuff he's done in the past before this and with this movie. And well, he, if he, in all honesty, he should definitely be up there with the notables that people may not know. Like, honestly, he should definitely be up there with some of the big names like Burton and Spielberg and Tarantino. Cause like without him, we would not have one of the best trilogies of all time. Of all time, Back to the Future. <laughs> it, it, it's it's but, true. It's yeah. so true. <laughs> yeah, um, and like even outside of that, like the 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 man just does a good job of really giving a good focus towards his characters. When and, and like you even mentioned, like when he when he expands out or like moves the camera just enough to get introduce another character to the scene is just really well done and really really a great job on his part um but overall i would give him a, a 90 okay um that could brings our overall grade for directing to an 88 um special effects and makeup um so i'm gonna give the special effects a 90 um they really hold up well I mean, for a movie that came out in 1997, um, you know, yes, there are some things that don't hold up quite as well. But, you know, even that opening scene where you go out of Earth and you go through, you know, the the galaxy and hearing the music and the way that that eventually comes out of Ellie's eye. I mean, it's maybe not quite amazing. I mean, you look at it, you can see some of the planets are maybe not quite so realistically, you know, uh rendered but i mean they're not terrible by any stretch but the fact is that it was a immense achievement and then um if you go to the point in the movie where the the machine is being activated and you see the rings spinning around it and all the light and all the the waves of energy and stuff i mean it still looks really good i mean I'm, i'm i'm impressed by a movie that is you know, impresses me more and more when I look back at some of these movies in the late 90s and early 2000s where, and they're not all like this, but the CGI in some of these movies is still really good. And then you see movies that are five, six years old today, and it's like, wow, some of them are not holding up all that well. And it's amazing that some of these, and I think it has to do in part with the techniques that they used um, today, I think. There, some of the things that they do with CGI, it um, they look great, but I think that they degrade um, quicker, quicker over time than the way in which they did things back in the early two thousands and at the late nineties. Uh, they look great, and I think the special effects really do hold up. And I gave it a ninety. Nice, yeah, and I, th- I think part of that is also like they were forced in a way to to blend. CGI and practical effects and a lot of scenarios and movies and eighties and nineties and even early two thousands. And it kind of helped. I don't know. It's like some of the CGI nowadays feels lifeless. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel like there's any substance to it. 
and I, and I think that's part of it is like they it's just nothing but CGI in those scenes while a lot of movies like the 90s they had to have like almost the entire thing structurally built and they just added a little bit of CG to help kind of get it that look that it needed but yeah the, the, this definitely still holds up quite well there are still there are some moments that were like kind of noticeably for me but still nothing crazy for considering it was the late 90s like even though i know it was it could not be helped in any way it would not look good no matter what movie did it the uh the inserting of the bill clinton speech oh yeah about the the meteor on mars and turning it into a speech for this mm-hmm. um like it would be nigh impossible to make that really seamlessly flow, but it's the one thing I did notice. And the, uh, when her face was changing back and forth from her adult face to her kid face, mm-hmm. had moments of like really, I wouldn't say not, it wasn't bad. It was just like, Oh, that's mildly disturbing. And like it, it was very jarring to see that happen, and it, I don't know. It, I think it might have been a little more of a touch up. Might have helped make it less disturbing. Yeah, no, I agree. But but <laughs> but, but all in all, like it was still really good. Um, I would give it an eighty-eight for special effects. Okay. Uh, we already talked about the pacing. I think we even gave our grades. Uh, I gave it an eighty. And you gave it a 75, which uh, was a 77. Uh, I think we already covered that. It's just the yep. pacing could have been better. So uh, rewatchability. Um, I gave it a 90. Um, and I mean, it, it's just it's um, a movie that I really enjoy. I mean, I've watched it, you know, over 30 times in my life. Uh, you, you can't watch a movie 30 times in your life and hate it. Uh, at least I hope you don't, because otherwise you are torturing yourself. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but I give it a ninety because I appreciate a movie that has a clear love for the stars, and um, is willing to take on uh, faith in science. And uh, because it's, a, it's an interesting conversation to have, it doesn't matter whether or not you have faith uh, or not. You know whether where where you, you fall. Uh, to me, I think it's just still an interesting conversation to have just from, you know, knowing that those two have not coexisted very well over the years, you know. Um, but overall, at 90, I think, is is uh, the great I would give. Yeah. Uh, rewatchability for me, I think, uh, I gave it a 75. And the, the main reason is, that, like, it's definitely a good movie. And it's something that I... I definitely would like to sit down and watch again for sure. But it's one of those for the length of the movie and for the intensity of the movie, it takes, it it takes a little bit of a toll for somebody to sit down for two and a half hours. And it really has, it's very, very, very slow build up to where trying to do that multiple times in a, in a short amount of time can, can wear thin really fast. 
but all in all, it's still something that definitely deserves to be watched again. Um, just get like, you will need to take time to think on it and let it sit for me at least. So that's why I give it a 75. Okay. All right. Um, all right. So if we tally up our grades, um, uh, the rewatchability over, overall, by the way, is an 82. Uh, we don't factor that in, but it's an 82. Um, 86 for me and an 85 for you. So that tells you how close we are overall to this movie uh, in terms of our grades. Maybe a little higher than me on a couple of the grades, um, a little higher than you on a couple of grades, and, and really just comes out to, you know, an 85 overall, which I think is pretty solid grade for this movie. You know, it's got some... It's got some deficiencies. It, it could have used some better editing, um, maybe even slight tweaks to the script here and there. Um, but overall, I think it's um, it's one of the better science fiction movies to come out in the last you know, 25 years. So I think it deserves yeah. uh, praise for its intelligence. I think it deserves praise for its... Uh, acting and in, in the characters obviously and i and the special effects i think everything really holds up well it's it's a good movie that um frankly you don't see enough of it uh, these days um when you have to struggle to remember a rival as being the most uh, fair and intelligent uh, you know movie about alien contact that we've had and uh, that tells you something because there isn't much beyond that uh, that i can think of you know so um all right any final thoughts on the movie and we'll wrap up um yeah it's just a very well thought out movie and even with some of the little easter eggs that were in it as well made me uh made me chuckle and get some enjoyment uh the reason why uh i don't know the reason why I recognize the last name of that one guy, Kent Clark, is because of the fact that it is a blind physicist looking into space when there's a famous superhero named Clark Kent from space that has supervision. Yep. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, little not, little things like that. So like, you definitely keep an eye out because you'd be surprised at how, how many little details the this movie pays attention to so yeah uh all right everyone that's it for this review of contact so if you'd like to get a hold of us and let us know what you think of our review or you think what you think of uh, contact itself you can send your emails to uh, freakinggeeksmedia at gmail.com you can go to our website freakinggeeks.com and you can uh, rate the review or rate the movie like we do you in little sliders you can pull them across you can type the number in and see what your overall grade for contact would be um you can go to patreon.com uh, forward slash freaking geeks and support us there as well uh so uh, thank you for listening and we'll see you guys next time have a good one thanks for listening to the freaking geeks podcast be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at Patreon.com slash FreakingGeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Trust us, it really helps. Now, if you'd like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to FreakingGeeksMedia at gmail.com. 
You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanich. You can contact Sarah on Twitter using at Labyrinth Rose or at Freak Geeks.